0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And this morning we did Amos chapter 5, and uh, just a little side note, I've already made corrections on the page where we were doing chapter 5, I had left a little zero out of something, and it altered the coding so that my notes were off, I, you'll hear me mention that in the show, but uh, it's corrected now, and we will be adding that, so everybody needs to join the network so that they can find out where all this is at, but today we're going to change pace a little bit here in the afternoon uh, since we finished with chapter five and we're going to uh, have a guest uh, which is James Williams and he's involved in county government and it gives him a window on the world through state government and projects and yet he was homeschooled and raised in this household. He's my second oldest son and uh, he has a little bit different perspective and of course this is really shaking them up in uh, the halls of the governments of the world because he has this different perspective and uh, he's bringing light where there's darkness which is kind of uh, funny because today it's dark outside. We have a big fire burning up in Fremont National Forest, and uh, the smoke is coming in. And just before the show, it got dark. I mean, it's like nighttime almost outside. There's so much smoke overhead blotting out the sun. And so James came in just at the last minute, and I said, Hey, you want to do a show together? (laughs) So this is going to be kind of a... Not a free fall, but at least we're not sure where it's going. I hope that the show will be interesting. So anyway, I want to welcome James Williams, County Commissioner for Lake County. And we'll just see if we can pick his brain a little bit. And And we often have great conversations here. And so we're just going to have a conversation and you guys get to sit in on it. Uh, you can call in to the station and uh, get uh, extra information about and ask questions and so it will be up to you if you have any questions Uh, i think you can just push just about any key and uh one or or any one of number of keys and uh i will know that you have a question and we'll try to bring you on the air but anyway right now james uh what's on your mind
1: well thank you for having me i have a lot of things on my mind normally uh Obviously, like you stated, right now the uh, biggest thing on our radar is the fire. Uh, This is uh, the Bootleg Fire, uh, south-central Oregon. It's uh, around 76,000 acres. As of the last report, um, it has a potential of most likely reaching over 100,000 acres. And uh, it's at zero containment right now, and it's moving actually towards us at the moment. So uh, as of the last report, it was not in Lake County yet. It was still in the Klamath County area um, over in Beatty and uh, Sprague River area. And we actually have a few church members that have property and land over in the Beatty area. I'm still unable to confirm exactly how close this fire is to them. Uh, I don't believe they're there in the immediate area at the moment, but... Um, uh, they have property there and and obviously there's a lot of folks uh, that live in that area of the Sprague River that um there's a lot of structures at risk so it's um it's a big fire, a lot of smoke it's and the smoke's uh- pr- predominantly been laying down over lake county and that 's why we have uh we're here in the middle of the day at the moment, and it looks like it's um the sun sun's already gone down. Yeah, the
0: sun's gone down and it looks dark out. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and in the house it's uh you can't even see cause, uh it without well, turning on lights because it is just suddenly dark. Right. Um. Yeah, I'm looking at my levels of sound and I think mine are a little bit higher than yours, although yours sounded really clear to me. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's fine. Um. I can speak up. No, no, I think you're, you're okay. I turned it down a little bit because it sounded real loud, but, uh, it, it's, we're, anyway, we're experimenting with, uh, this equipment to see if we can have more guests on. Right. Uh, I heard, uh, we have an RPA which fights, uh, specifically this kind of fire that's outrange fires. And, uh, I heard Kevin uh, complimenting you on informing the public uh, as to, uh, what's going on with the fire and he thought maybe we can get more people fighting the fire. Is the do you know if the RPA is getting ready? They're not gonna go outside the county. Uh
1: the RPA is kind of holding off at the moment, uh, at least the High Desert and the um uh the uh, Warner Valley uh rangeland fire protection agencies. Uh we have two of them in Lake County. Um in my opinion they're two of probably the best in the state. Um the High Desert RFPA, uh, did a lot of really hard work in making sure that they could get, um, mutual aid agreements and, uh, signed and in place with federal ag- agencies as well as state agencies. They were one of the first in the country to have uh, agreements signed with the Fe- Federal Forest Service and uh, the BLM. And, uh, it's made it a lot easier for them to participate in stopping these fires and forming task forces and and getting out on these things and having some local guys on the ground when they bring in these type 1 teams from across the country that are supposed to come in and stop these fires. It's been absolutely phenomenal having these local guys that are not only experienced, they know the terrain and the topography, they know the weather patterns, they know the area, they know the locals, but they also know how to fight fire, and they have all the training that necessary to do so. Plus, they have a ton of equipment. Uh I mean, you know, multiple Humvees and big water tenders and big D7 cats that we can bring to bear on these fires. It's really been phenomenal. However... The thing with the RFPAs is typically they're on wildland and they focus on initial attack. Um, so once these fires get to a certain size, it's not doesn't really meet the mission statement of the RFPAs any longer to be involved in these. And in fact, you might even say that they serve a better purpose in holding back and uh, maybe doing a little bit of prep work and working with folks. But at the same time, if we have another fire that were to spring up, and we have these guys deployed on the um, bootleg fire, who's going to stop that one? So... It's great to have these initial attack guys, you know, kind of holding back and holding these resources in reserve to fight these other little spot fires that may spring up and I mean if we had a if we had a lightning storm in the middle of this, um it could be bad because resources are spread so thin along the fronts uh, and the edges of the Bootleg fire. So right now they're they're holding and uh it we've got plenty of resources to bear on the Bootleg fire. Um, we could always use more, obviously, but um those requ- requests will go out as our emergency manager sees necessary, and along with the incident commander for the fire um and i'm I'm sure that they're they're looking into getting any additional resources that they might need if they need something, trust me, they'll ask uh but whether or not they get it, that's always something else. We're very early in the season. Uh, Here we are in the very first part of July. Uh, We're not even in August yet, and already we're at a fire that's, you know, getting closer to 100,000 acres and uh, definitely has the potential to get there. It's it's 76 or so thousand acres now.
0: Yeah, one of the things about the RFPA, the High Desert RFPA, uh, Rural Fire Department, uh, it was a voluntary system set up by your brother and Kevin, Mm -hmm. and... uh, and Kevin is now in charge. I actually know Kevin's granddad, uh, Verl, who I remember a fire way back. Uh, we had a meeting here with some ministers from Colorado. And uh, we were actually leading to catch a train. And we saw a little smoke up there. And it ended up being quite a fire. And it it burned for days and days. And the Forest Service didn't take any local advice on it. They don't let local people fight it. They actually threatened to arrest local people who were protecting local homes. And uh, it was partly because the people, the local people, were not well organized. They knew how to fight fires. A lot of them had worked on fires before. They knew how to use equipment. Uh, they had a uh, territorial imperative because they're the home team, so to right. speak. Uh, but we were not organized enough to really get on the fire. But, uh, Kevin's granddad brought a cat up from his logging operation and drove up the side of the mountain. Right. And drove right in and knocked the flames down and literally one man stopped the fire. I mean, there were other people working on other areas. That's the thing with a fire. You have lots of different fronts. But they, he, he stopped the fire. Uh, doing things that I would consider crazy, but that's the way uh, uh, it rolls sometimes. Uh, he did things that are courageous. That's how people win medals of honor, is that they do something that uh, nobody expected them. But what we did with this rural fire department, it's a voluntary fire department. Mm-hmm. It's supported by voluntary funds. Mm-hmm. It's not supported by tax dollars. It has received a few grants, but a lot of those grants are... Uh, helping us meet added expenses that are put on us in order to get this approval to be a fire department and fight, go on to federal property and fight these fires.
1: Yeah, for example, I mean, we have our big D7 cat was a uh, military-grade cat um, that we got uh, through... uh, through an auction of military equipment, and, uh, it's a big old honking machine, um, you can just walk through the flames and everything, well, it, it served on the front line of the Bratton Fire, uh, last year when Paisley was evacuated, and as a result, you know, it, it's, uh, transmission needs to be redone, you have to drop the pan and everything else, and it's going to be a $30,000 job to repair this thing, if not more, um, that fire was a federal fire. That was is originated on federal land, and it threatened p- private land, which is why the RFPA is there, is to make sure that these wildland uh, private lands have fire protection. A lot of our volunteer fire departments focus on structure. That they they're trained for structure fires. They're not trained for wildland, but it's difficult for them to go in and protect a structure. If there's a fire coming down on top of them and they don't have protection, if it's not safe, they're not, they're not sending in their crews. But if they, because they can team up with these wildland guys that can bring three or four Humvees onto the scene with a couple tenders and these big fire trucks and we specialize in wildland fire, we can run a circle around these structures with a big Dean 7 cat or a couple of these cats and we can be there in a heartbeat and suddenly we helped the structure teams do their job.
0: See you know, when you're talking about the structure teams, just to make it clear to everybody, these are volunteer All fire departments.
1: Volunteer.
0: Paisley Fire Department is a volunteer fire department. Now Silver so Lake has volunteers but it also did go on the tax rolls. Uh At least the building of their building was put on the tax roll. Yeah, they do
1: have a local tax, I believe, and, and I, I believe Christmas Valley um, does as well.
0: But most um, of the firemen are unpaid. Correct. All the,
1: all the, no one gets paid to do there. It's just to help run the equipment yeah. because it is quite costly.
0: Right, and so the reason I bring it up is so that people begin to understand that the effectiveness of the high desert Uh, Rural Fire Department, has been, uh, I mean, unmeasurable. They have put out, one month I think they put out like 20 fires that got started that never got off the ground because locals were able to jump on those fires, uh, communicate by radio, and show up yeah. with sufficient equipment. It's not necessarily always the shiniest equipment, although your brother has painted a lot of them. <laughs> I know, but uh, made them look shiny. That they're all not painted. Some of them still uh, evidently their laws they can't can't uh, have the camo on them. You know, because then you, they look like a military vehicle. Because a lot of them are ex-military, but some of these will just uh, go. Off terrain, your your rural fire departments that go after structure, they got a road to where they got to be. But the high desert rural fire department got to go where there ain't no roads. Right. And really the reason I'm bringing this up and we're kind of introducing you to this stuff is that I personally think that if we do the jobs of government in a voluntary system, which is I believe what the gospel was all about. That you will be more effective, more, you know, responsive, for less money, less loss of resources, and you actually become the heroes of your community. And it's it's been a staging ground to start to get people to think outside. Some of the people, uh, I believe, Kevin, you know, his daytime job is on the fire. Department I think he's a
1: he uh, Lapine seen? fire he's a yeah. he's a paramedic
0: paramedic and so you know he's familiar with a lot of these things but they're taking their skills into this realm of volunteerism and actually providing a level of protection that has been unheard of in the community for a long time even though it was here you know when Burl his granddad went up the side of that mountain and put that fire out, he was probably breaking all kinds of rules, but, uh, who was gonna go catch him? He would just, he just did it. And, uh, and, uh, and nobody could deny the fact that he was stopping that fire and, uh, doing it in a way that, you know, he put his life at risk, but he did it for his community. And he saw the job needed getting done and he did it. Now, some people might call that a cowboy or, you know, whatever, but the reality is, is that, you know, th- this mix of, you know, Americanism, courageous individual volunteerism, showing up for your neighbors, uh, is a commendable thing that we have lost sight of. If you go to, uh, Portland this last, uh, summer, it burned. There were fires being started every night, and the people were starting the fires, and the people who should have been stopping them, we're not showing up to help. And now they're defunding police. There was 150, a uh, large number of police officers in the Portland area who resigned, some of them en masse. Uh, you know, the, a judge has ordered that they hire more people, but nobody wants to work for the Portland police anymore. And I'm I'm really concerned about the caliber of people. They may start letting into their police force what's left of it, And I see a disarray. that. So we have one section of society moving more and more to giving power to government to fix things for them. And we have another section of society taking back the responsibility of fixing things for their own community. And that really is maybe kind of the theme of the show. And we can go off into uh, areas of uh, elderly care uh medical care uh we we live in a county that has the lowest vaccination rate uh for the new covid vaccine yeah oh uh, yeah <laughs> no well, we don't want to get like the hodge twins or something but uh yeah. <laughs> the the reality is uh i think part of that i mean there there's a certain amount of rugged individualism but the conversation, in a small community like this, the conversation is word of mouth right. to everybody. And yeah. there were conversations questioning the wisdom uh, and the danger and the reality that we were being fed over the news It mm-hmm. was being discussed. Now, a lot of people across the country were discussing this because they had to stay in their homes. They had to stay masked. They couldn't go to restaurants. Why do you think that was such a good thing? I don't think it stopped the virus. Most of the epidemiologists, I was reading at the time because I was actually going into the universities and and getting comments from actual epidemiologists, some of the top, like Ian at Stanford, and was saying that this shutdown was going to cost more lives and prolong the outbreak. That if we had just handled this like a regular flu, it would have been all over really quick. Although... um, they didn't do that. What they did is they stopped you from talking with one another. Yeah. Social media started censoring any information that was contrary to what everybody's mm-hmm. supposed to think. Yeah. And, uh, but in this they'd community... C- they'd
1: censor your leaders. Yeah. They'd censor the people <laughs> that you elected to tell you the truth. They'd censor them. No, no, don't listen to him.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's almost surreal to watch this all take place over the last couple of years. But um, in this small community, people continue to talk, and there are people in this community that did research. We did research. I shared my articles, of course, with my son. He shared, and I always put links in the articles that we write, to, links to people like Dr. Bhakti, most quoted uh, bacteriologists in the history of Germany. Uh, Ioannidis, uh, the guy who wrote the book on epidemiology and uh, who's a professor in Stanford. Uh, just one uh, scientist, Dr. K, uh, got dozens and dozens of patents. Uh, these are all laureate, prize winners. And so we were sharing that information as quickly as we could get it out, but he was able to have these discussions with local doctors mm-hmm. local nurses local hey. people in going in government and where i'm sure that people would have all been wearing masks and frightened to death in the in the capital of this county except for the fact that james was there making comments saying things bringing up information that they simply were not getting on the news Information you could actually look up and check for yourself. And it changed a lot of the atmosphere. I, I don't think it, he would have got away with it as much in Portland, but out here in this rural community where people have been forced to do for themselves, yeah, it had an effect.
1: but define getting away with it.
0: Well, yeah, I mean... Yeah, because he I has mean, spoken to people in Portland, he has spoken to people in the state capitol.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're always going to have people that disagree with you, I have people that disagree with me here. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, we must have been doing something right, otherwise we wouldn't have, you know, 70% of this county, like, nope, I ain't taking that. Yeah, and I mean, we're the lowest vaccination rate in the entire state. Not just, and and this is interesting, not just among our general population, but among OHP members, people that are signed up for Oregon Health Plan, that have signed up for the welfare program of the state, and they're taking health benefits and health care, and they're all for all those things. Even among that population alone... We are still the lowest vaccinated OHP population in the state in Lake County.
0: Yeah, there's a thought that's flowing through the community, and I hear it because you know I've. It's breaks. a lack
1: of trust. Yeah. It's a, it's it's so many different things, and it is, it is a spirit too, where we're all connected and we all know each other. There's only eight thousand people here total, so you know seventy percent of eight thousand people. You could say, well, that's not very much. Well, it's all we have.
0: Yeah and you know I mean there's all kinds of reports coming out there were reports that coming out over a year ago they warned about ADE which is an enhanced uh, immune response uh, that may come about in extreme fashion a cytokine uh, reaction if you get the vaccine the next time you're exposed to the wild viruses the first RNA uh, mRNA-type vaccines that they created. This was the problem, is that the animals, when they were exposed to the wild virus, they died in droves. Uh, they became sterile. And uh, we didn't have animal trials with this vaccine, but they pushed it out there. And they are pushing so hard. It, it, this is what I even heard some, a news commentator saying. They could not understand why they're pushing so hard to get everybody in America vaccinated. I heard uh, people with the military saying that we're going to have to compel our soldiers to get this vaccine. Now, a lot of them have already gotten it, but they're, some of them are resisting. And they're talking about actually putting soldiers in jail who refuse to get this flu vaccine, which only kills less than 1% of people in the category right. of... Of, uh, you know, the, the military age, healthy, strong young men. But yet we're getting, you know, I have a daughter who sells real estate up in uh, the Portland area and she was telling me this last weekend that she has sold four homes where one of the owners of the home died some the very neck, the very night after they got the vaccination. Four homes she sold because the owners died, not from COVID, but after they got the vaccination. And I've gotten report after report after report of people who supposedly got the vaccination and within a week, they got the flu. What they're not actually getting is the flu. They're getting vaccinosis. And if you don't want to know what that means, look it up. Vaccinosis is a reaction that is gives you flu like symptoms to a vaccination. Well, this isn't really a vaccination, but anyway, we won't get off on that tangent. The point is, what can you do in your community? What's coming next? If this is a conspiracy that is going to bring about the sterilization, you know, this is doctor Luke uh Montagnier, who is also Nobel Prize winner came out and was stating, and he, they, they've been trying to shut him up, that he believes that within the next few years, people who have gotten the vaccination will start dying because of this cytokine ADE reaction and because of different thrombosis uh, symptoms that come up. We had the same story back in um, 2020 with the report. So if this is some kind of, you know, conspiracy <laughs> and that is going to bring about serious plague of some sort in America. We know now that the virus was uh, manufactured in a lab. People some people are saying it's suspicious that it was. Well, Dr. Uh, Key, who uh, is one of the top physicians and scientists in the United States, has uh, over 10,000 sites from his work says he knew last year 99% likely that this was made in a lab. Uh, the woman who was known as the Bat Lady who worked in the lab says that it was a manufactured enhanced virus, although she has disappeared from the face of the earth in China. But she said that before. She, I've seen her her TED Talks where she talked about doing exactly what evidently was done in the lab, But now you can't even find the TED Talks anymore where she... But I I saw them. I heard them. I, I didn't save them, fortunately. But there's probably somebody who could do the research. There's only so much time. But the point is, if things are actually going to continue to break down farther and farther and farther, and corruption is the name of the game, what can we do as communities, as people, to balance the stem the direction society is being dragged we can't just shake our fist we can't just yell and scream we need to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness but what does that look like but anyway I wanted to bring up some of those medical things that we read in the rural light Uh, you've done a little bit more research I know you're going to do some more and you've got feelers out to find out exactly what's going on yeah but uh, there are systems put in place. We saw this back when we were taking care of some local people that the government was begging us to take money to help take care of our neighbor. And, of course, they've done the same thing with fire departments, et cetera. Et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did the same thing. With, most people don't realize that most public schools back in the 1800s were entirely funded by private donations. They weren't funded by the government. They weren't on the tax rolls. They had land that was off the tax rolls that was set aside by government, but it wasn't given by government. It was just every township had land in it that was set aside for educational purposes. That was something Madison had set up when they originally began to survey land. But we've moved away from that, and with that, we've lost control of public schools and private schools even. We've done the same thing in medicine. We've done the same thing in elderly care. So I'm going to just turn it over to James maybe he can talk about some of these programs that we were discussing before the show and enlighten you into that area.
1: Well, I may be the one that needs to be enlightened. (laughs) Um, It's been I was telling this to my wife the other day. This has been the most frustrating part of my job, I would say, um, and my weeks, my days, my months of when people come to me with a problem and they show me a problem and I see it and I understand it is a problem, there's a need, there's a a great need for someone to do something, The problem is that everyone thinks that that someone is the government. That's why they're talking to me about it. And there's organization there so they feel like we can get something done. There's money and resources so they feel like we can get something done. The question is, is this our job? Is this what we're supposed to be focused on? Now... I'm a believer in good governance. And I also believe, though, that uh, we govern by the consent of the governed. And it's been tough for me when people come to me and say, you know, we want you to give money to this organization because it's going to help people. Um, That excuse has been used for all sorts of welfare programs throughout the nation and in our state and local governments. But should we? Is this something that we're supposed to be focused on? And now, something came about here a couple years ago, there was this guardianship program, and I know I've come, I've actually come to the church a couple times with, you know, talking about mental health and, and what the needs were, um and I know that everyone is, you know, they, we, we know it's a big, big problem. Mental health and the needs for taking care of people, and then suddenly it's the government's job. I, I mean, Hundreds of thousands of dollars go out every year, millions, in mental health, and it's filtered through the government, and I feel like it's an inefficient way of doing it. I feel like it could be done better, but it requires people to take the initiative and jump in and want to make a change. This guardianship program, we were approached a couple months ago about potentially giving, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to this guardianship program. I didn't know what it was. But in a quick summary, it's basically if you have an elderly person, a senior citizen that has gotten to the age where they can no longer take care of themselves and they have no family because the children aren't there for their parents, they're not taking care of their parents, we we don't know anyone like that do we? <laughs>
0: um
1: it, that would never happen and uh but they need help and so the guardianship uh, our guardian would technically take over uh, have power of attorney um it would they, they would manage the bills they would take care of the person you know make sure that they were getting the treatment that they needed and then you would have uh you know all the way through the end of their life Um, In the state of Oregon, a guardian is maxed at 20 caseloads. Currently, we only, well, I shouldn't say currently. As of a few months ago, we only had like two guardians in the entire state. They were both in Portland. A bill went through the legislature to increase that and to like six additional guardians. And they were going to all be in the metro area. Now they're looking at doing it regionally. So you'll have a region. Uh, Lake County is within one region with Jefferson, Deschutes, Klamath, and I, I think a couple others. So one guardian is what we get for that entire geographical area. Huge, but that one guardian can only have 20 cases. So if you have Deschutes County, you could just imagine the need in a place that has the population that Deschutes does, or, you know, where Bend, Oregon is located. The need's going to be huge. That person's not going to be able to take time to come down to Lake County and take care of the three or four different people that have great need here. And so the question was posed, what can Lake County do? Maybe we need to do our own, have our own guardian, but we'd have to pay for it. We could do a partnership with Klamath and just do Klamath and Lake. Maybe that'd be easier, but we know that Klamath will probably eat it up as well and eat up all those cases but they want the commissioners to contribute to the program. Now, I'm just questioning whether or not this is something that the commissioners should be doing. This is, is this something that the local government should be funding? Now, way back, this is the other side of the story. And I'll leave this for anyone else to think about. And people are free to call in if they have some thoughts on this, on what people should do. I'd, I'd be curious to hear if they have any comments. I'm, do you have a chat? Where people can leave comments?
0: Uh, there is a chat room, and there's quite a few callers right now. But they can push, like I say, one if they have a question or something. And uh, I'm looking at the board, and nobody's
1: nobody's pressing one. Nobody's okay. Well, I'll, to... I'll tell I'll tell <laughs> so a little I bit more. What
0: the question?
1: Is. Yeah, I'll <laughs> tell a little bit more of the story, and then and then maybe you know, it'll help with a question, and and maybe solidify a question in people's mind. Years ago, guardianships were taken care of through voluntary means in the state of Oregon. It was a volunteer program. People, uh, the, the guardians that we had, their whole thing was, um, you know, they took care of a lot of different people throughout the state, but as time went on, they got older, they wanted to retire, and they were going to need a guardian of their own pretty much. and And the program went away. Two years ago, the state took it over and said, well, we're going to do it because no one else was. And that's the truth. Mm-hmm. No one else was doing it. So the state took it over and now it's run through the Department of Justice or the, um, yeah, DOJ. Um, and that's be- probably because of the legal issues around t- taking over power of attorney. Um, you know, you have the, the kids that come back after not taking care of their parents and their, uh, latter years and saying, hey, what happened to all my parents' stuff? This person's stealing their stuff or whatever and they're going to accuse the guardian of all sorts of things. And so there needs to be some uh, legal, legal defense is costly. And, uh, and, but the other side of that is there's really not a whole lot of things in place to keep someone from robbing a widow or an orphan and elder abuse from happening if you get a bad apple. There's a lot of potential for corruption in this system. So... Before I went and decided that I was going to commit thirty thousand dollars, or however they were, however much they were wanting us to commit to this program, and that's on an annual basis. So every year I have to come up with a thirty thousand dollars to pay into this program. I have a, we have a fifty-eight million dollar budget in a county with less than eight thousand people. <laughs> less than fourteen million of that comes in from the taxpayer, and that's including an oil pipeline and several thousand acres worth of solar that comes in the form of property taxes. The rest are all state and federal appropriated funds. I don't have discretionary dollars to go and throw at programs like this simply because we say, well, we need it. I know we need it. I know there's people that need help. And and so there was this other organization that's kind of popping up down in Paisley. It's called the Kindred Circle. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the history is on this, so I, I don't want to speak too much about no, it. Well,
0: that's what you were going to be doing I'm, some research I'm going to
1: do some more yeah. research on the Kindred Circle, but I do know that they're not part of the guardianship program. That's what I've been told anyway. So I'm going to do some more research and find out more. But the Kindred Circle, there, there's an older couple in Paisley. I'm going to keep from using their names. But uh, I've known them all my life, and in fact, their picture showed up on a little local magazine in here, and I saw the magazine, and I was like, hey, that looks like so-and-so. It is so-and-so. And uh, he's an elderly gentleman, uh, been around for a long time. He's got dementia. He, it's It's harder for him to, you know, know who people are. He's not sure where he is sometimes. His wife is blind, and she can't really see anymore. Real severe case of macular degeneration. You know she can't be in the kitchen by herself. She can't be cooking food. She can't see anything. You know, and and he doesn't know what's going on most of the time. So they need someone there. And it's not that the children don't care. In fact, the children very much care. They want to to help, but they have lives of their own. They're trying to work, and it's a lot of a of a commitment. And so this kindred circle popped up, and I do believe that the people get paid to do this, but they take you know the guy out for walks, um, and he really enjoys it, they, they plant flowers in the flower bed for, for the wife, um, they, they're there, they cook the meals, they take care of them, and it's live in, because apparently back in the day, I guess they did try to put them in an old folks home, and it didn't, it didn't work, um, it's just not, um, it's hard on people, I know it was hard on, like, George Carlin, we've talked about George, on this show before, um, George was a commissioner way, way back in the day. He drove a Sherman tank onto the beaches of Normandy. But later on in his life, you know, he's, his health got really bad, and he ended up in the hospital, and, and he was dying. And we brought him home. Our family brought him home. And with the neighbors and help from the neighbors and other people... And from the church. And yeah. from the church, we took care of him. And And his... His life improved. He he didn't have to sit in a lonely hospital bed. He could sit in his living room where it was completely triaged, where he had his bed and everything else. He could sit on that bed in his living room, and his bedding was cleaned and changed constantly. People were there rubbing his feet and taking care of him, putting oils on his feet, and he could look out the window every morning and see the meadows that he dragged and hated for you know most of his life.
0: Yes, yeah, and some years he he was. Uh I came in more than once. We would hoist him up out of the bed and uh get him into a wheelchair so that he could move around. And uh, I came in more than one time where him and his wife were sitting next to each other in the middle of the room watching Gunsmoke, both of them fast asleep. Uh It's... uh It was... Uh, it was amazing. Uh They had one son, but it, he was out of his... Uh, one son that was at home trying to take care of him, but he was out of his depth trying to do this alone. He needed help. He was there, but he needed help. And he learned a great deal in the process. The other brothers learned a great deal in the process. But that was where the government was coming in, and we were coming in. We were coming in for free. We were doing a better job. Uh, Our guy was actually scolding the the guy who was hired by the government to come in because he was leaving things not the way they should be. He wasn't cleaning things the way they should be. He was not as thorough. And George improved under our care. They expected him to die within a week and he lived for months and months and months and months after we brought him home. Sores healed up. He had a much higher quality of life in the final days. But what... What I wanted to, I wanted to read one thing out of the Bible that says, How be it in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrine the commandments of men? The commandments of men? What men is that? For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well, ye reject the commandments of God, that ye may keep your own traditions. And the word traditions there uh, has multiple meanings in multiple different translations, but we won't go into that. But he says, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, whoso curses his father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. Free from what? Free from the responsibility of taking care of his parents because he was paying into the a uh, corbin a sacrifice into the temple, and it was the job of the government temple to take care of their parents. And Jesus goes on to say, and ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God to none effect through your traditions. Again, that word tradition can be statutes, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, even one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. In Proverbs it says, the slothful shall be under tribute. All the problems today stem from the fact that we're not actually worshiping God, we're not actually fulfilling the commandments, we're not taking care of our father or mother, much less taking care of the needy of our society. That's what we should do. Where are the churches in bringing about this care for the members of the community who fall on hard times? Why are we going to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority? Why aren't we taking care of the needy of society? Are we worshiping in our churches in vain? There are lots of churches in Paisley. How are they taking care of the needy? Now I know actually in Paisley many of the people and in Lake County many people do take care of the elderly. They do help with, you know, people who are falling in need. But somewhere along the line we got the idea to think that it's the government's job and this is what I think James is dealing with. Now they come to him and they say, "You fix it. You do it. You you contribute money. They don't know where the money's coming from. But why aren't they doing it? If you don't take back your responsibilities, you're going to lose your rights. Right. So we're kind of in a dilemma. We throw this stuff back and forth. How can we become a light to the rest of the counties? Of Oregon, the rest of the counties of the United States and the world, where we show them how can we take care of the needy in our society without going to the men who exercise authority and force the contributions, the and the sacrifice of the people.
1: And they may not, and that may not be all they force. Oh, yeah. See, once it's under the state, once they're in control, and they're going to be in control of your parents and the elderly of your community, they get to decide. How things are going to be run. They could decide everyone that's doing that work has to be vaccinated. All the people, if, in order to qualify for the work, for, um, getting these services, you know, grandma and grandpa have to be vaccinated. You know, I mean, all, all all sorts of things. They have to do this. They have to, this has to happen, whatever else. And, and the property at the end goes to the state or whatever it might be. I'm not saying that that's what it is currently. I'm saying that there's potential here for all sorts of things. The more we give up our responsibility to one another and to our elders, and uh, the more we stand less of a chance of getting any of that back.
0: Yeah, we have uh, somebody in the community that's been overtaxed on their property for years and years and yeah. years. I brought it to the attention of the tax assessor. Uh, and she was afraid to approach them, and so I I can't. I did approach them. I did talk to them, but they did nothing because I had no leverage. So
1: you were talking to an appraiser. I spoke to the county assessor, and he is personally going to be taking care of that this, yeah. next, this and so next week.
0: Now James has some leverage that he can go in there and maybe... Changed
1: that. He did find discrepancies and issues within how the property was assessed. He was saying it was the the, the house. He asked if the house was uh, 4,000 square feet. That's what I said.
0: (laughs) That's a shack.
1: It's a shack. (laughs) And it ain't 4,000 square foot shack. No. 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 Barely a quarter
0: of that. Yeah. And, I
1: mean. And, and so, he's like, well, that's it, right there. And he said, so no, I will go out there and take care of it. And, he, and, and he's corrected things that were done wrong by the previous assessor.
0: Yeah, and, and I brought it to their attention, and... I don't and
1: think the message got passed on, and so I, I brought it to him again, and yeah, I would and he mention went the and name of the guy it. who I, I
0: talked directly to, well, but I, I won't do it here on the... No,
1: that's not, it's not appropriate <laughs> anyway. The point is, is we just have to get it fixed. Because you have a woman in her 90s, and she's been paying more in taxes on her small little piece of property... Than the whole thing commission. Yeah. Than, than the entire U.S. Department of Fish and Wildlife, basically.
0: <laughs> Who claims they still paid the taxes. But anyway, yeah. Uh, and that minor injustice, is minor compared to all the other injustices that we can see...
1: And Injustices happen. And, but, and you have to follow up with them, though. Otherwise, it, justice delayed is justice
0: denied. Yeah. And so... What we're saying is that there needs to be a change in, we were talking about it at the beginning of the show and I know we're going to be running out of time here. So I want to get some of these ideas in that because in our community there is a little bit more effort left over from the old days. When I first came to the community the mail truck was still called the stage. They were still calling it the stage after all these years. And, uh, we do things as... That was a common thing that George used to say. As a rule, we do it this way. <laughs> and some of those ancient traditions was that we take care of it ourselves. We do it ourselves. And now we see, you know, in the case of the vol- volunteer fire departments and the uh, the high desert uh, RPA... RFPA. RFPA that we're going... uh Rural mm-hmm. fire department. That we're going... And starting to do these things ourselves. And it's a learning experience. Uh, because I still see in some of the upper echelon of some of these things that they have this tendency, well, I'll just do it. I'm not going to put it out to all the other people. But it's very important that you try to get as many people in your community involved in your community and getting involved in the community doesn't mean all going down and voting for somebody to tax your neighbor to take care of the issue because it won't get taken care of or it won't get taken care of well. Christ said it makes the word of God to none effect. So again, we're back to the problem of how do we work hand in hand with the existing governments of the world yet... Go back to the principles of pure religion, which is the caring for those widows and orphans in needy of your society, and it's going to be a process.
1: Why don't we just do it? Well, Well, why don't the? Where are the churches? And that's that's what I'm working on. Is I want to go to the individual churches. I don't care which denomination they are. I want them to come and get together, regardless of denomination, and say, Yeah, these are the elderly of our community. We need to take care of them.
0: See, we're already doing that with the few elderly that we have in our community. Yes, we are. But where are the other we churches that the call ed- themselves Christians? We're just Christians? talking Little Summer Lake. What about Lakeview? What, what about, about Christmas, Christmas Valley? Valley?
1: <laughs> and some of these churches have you know, missions that they send over to Cambodia and Latvia and other places.
0: But they're what not.
1: A- what about the people at home? What about the elders? Our elderly here that are victimized and taken advantage of, are elderly those, abuse.
0: Are those churches worshiping in vain because they're going. To the government temples and saying, "You take care of the elderly. We'll just go out on the missions and pretend to be spreading the word of God." Well,
1: and you know, and I don't want to be critical either. I'll just say, you no, know, I want to. Job. No, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I can <laughs> yeah. I, I can be critical at, at some points, but I want to give people the, the option first yeah. and the opportunity to do the right thing. Once they are aware of the issue, you can't claim ignorance anymore. Yeah. Like, oh, gee, I had no idea. No, I told you. Yeah, I told you this was a problem, and and, you, and if any if people still want me to go and give money to it, just take the forced contributions that have been given to the county and turn around and and backfill this program. Well, okay, but forever then you can't blame me when things go south. If no one steps steps up and, and tries to see to it that people are taken care of, what's going to happen? And I'm not even convinced that I would do it regardless. Yeah. Uh, Commissioner Albertson and I, we're both, uh, he's more saying, I don't want to put money into it because it's the state's responsibility. And And what he means by that is the state took it on. They said they would pay for it, and now they won't. And they're making us pay for it. I understand that sentiment.
0: Sounds like Pharaoh to me. It, it's, <laughs> a little, it's a
1: little frustrating. So, as a matter of principle, he's like, well, I'm not paying into it. I'm looking at it not only from that perspective, but also, I don't think we should. Right. I don't think the state should. I
0: what, don't think they, it's
1: any of their business.
0: What was I, it like, the old voluntary system? The, do we have an outline of the, what the they I'm, were actually I doing? I asked
1: for records on that to see what it was d- like before, but it's been up to 15 to 20 years since Lake County had a guardian. Right. And so finding those records and seeing how it was functioning before, and plus, you don't always want to do it exactly no, the way they did it, because absolutely. obviously it failed. Yeah. There's something that they were doing that was wrong. Right. And, and there's something that we're doing as a people that's wrong. If we have that much need in our community and we are walking around oblivious to it, and I guarantee it, no matter where you are, whoever you are that is listening right now, you have it in your community as well. You have it all around you. There are, there is someone not very far away that needs help and they're not getting it. And there's the question, in our current civilization, in our current society, maybe the government should do something about it. And that's just the wrong spirit to have. So I would, I would leave this with a question, and I understand we're probably short on time for callers. What should we do? What is the answer to this? How do we approach this? Whose job is it to take care of the widows and orphans of society?
0: It obviously is the job of the church, but they seem to have forgotten that. I was talking to a minister just this last week who said, well, our church, we take up a collection we help the widows and orphans, but that's not pure religion that you do token help when 80 to 90% of the help is provided by men who exercise authority, something that Christ said we were not to do. So a lot of people have to start realizing that we're outside of the parameters of worshipping God according to the words of Christ. We are not taking care of one another. We do not love one another. We actually covet one another's goods. So how do we make the transition back? There's going to be a learning curve. And of course, like I was talking this morning during the study on Amos, the plagues of Egypt, because this was what Amos brought up. We'd return to the bondage of Egypt. Uh, in Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms, at that particular time, which is why destruction was coming. So if we've returned to that bondage of Egypt, God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh, kept the people there during the plagues, during the famines, during the social meltdown and breakdown, and the people began to take care of one another during these times because the government was overwhelmed I can't imagine that that is not where we're headed and so having this window that uh, my son provides and this opportunity that is coming up can can we start putting together ways to make that transition and I believe that that's what Christ was doing he was setting up a system where people could transition and baptism was when you went from one system to the other. If you got the baptism of Christ, you were kicked out of that system of forced sacrifice through the temple and you entered into a system of voluntary sacrifice through faith, hope, and charity. And because that's what John explains. So anyway, we've thrown out these ideas. I see there's a number of callers still online listening so we'll see where it goes from here and uh, we'll share this audio with the rest of the network if you're not on the network join it if you're on the network try to get more people to join it to hear this message because you're just not hearing it enough places we are uh, talking to other ministers and we'll be talking to more and see if we can get more people to actually Seek that kingdom of God and His right righteousness. So we got a little less than ninety seconds left of the show. We got the Burning Bush Festival coming up in September here in Summer Lake. Uh, get these messages out. Share you dot com with other people. Hisholychurch.org dot org with other people. Uh, if you're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands already, join a ministry group or one of these congregations or form it. We'll show you how to do it at. Uh, on the, the uh, network. So join the network. And until then, all I can say is peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless.
1: You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with
0: Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.